Okay, so John, what are some of the ways that Nicole expresses her love for you? What are some of the ways that Nicole expresses her love for me? Yeah. She builds me up. Everything she does shows me the love that she has for me. It's different for everyone, I think, but um, he will get gas in my car. He warms it up in the winter. He um, knows I'm coming home from work, and he'll make sure the house is clean. Um, I have three bathrooms and three boys. He makes sure, you know, that the bathrooms are clean. It's a little things like that. How has your relationship changed? Um, just from, like, before you had kids to having young kids to now. Sure, sure. Uh, when we got married, he, I was probably 25-ish, and I was very immature, and she stuck by my side the whole time. Um, I'm certainly not the man I want to be yet, but I'm getting there. And, you know, when we do have disagreements, it's about different things. You know, as opposed to when you're first married, you might fight about, um, you know, how much time you're getting away. And now it might be, you know, how, how to raise the kids. How, how often do you and Nicole get to go out and go on dates? A date night? Yes. That would be really cool. Um, <laughs> we try and do at least once a month. Um, I know some people do more, but probably once or twice a month. Now that the kids are older, it's happening a lot more often. Pretty much, I mean, we can go to Myers and have a good time. So, you know, usually, hey, you want to go to Home Depot? Sure, I'll go with you. So it's, we're always doing something together. Okay, so uh, what are some things that you like to do apart? I'll go hang out with my sisters or, um, you know, go hang out with work friends. I like to hunt. I like to shoot. Uh, which, she's starting to, she's a good shot. I would not mess with her. Yeah. Okay, so what's the best date that you and John have ever been on? Um, his work party. It's I would still consider this a date. Um, it was at the Renaissance Center. Um, so you got to dress up fancy, and it was just a great night. Um, and we went up to the top and um, got to just sit out and watch you know, Detroit at night and just sat and talked and had a lot of laughs. And it, was, it really sticks out in my mind as one of the real good ones. What is the worst date that you guys have ever been on together, and why? Oh, my gosh. Okay, can I tell this story, Nick? The raccoon? Okay, so we were driving around. We parked on the backside of Elizabeth Park. We parked. We were going to walk over the cement bridge on Elizabeth Park, moonlit, very romantic, you know, go for a little moonlight stroll, and we crossed over this bridge and started walking into the park and down from the tree came probably the biggest raccoon I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it started charging at us, it was hissing, it was showing its teeth, it was coming at us. So I look at her, I'm like, run! So we take off and we run to the car, we look over the cement bridge, we run down the street, jump in the car, slam the doors, roll the windows up, all the while this raccoon's still chasing us. She looks at me, she's like, oh my gosh, weren't you terrified? And I looked at her, I'm like, no, because I figured all I'd have to do is just outrun you.
Alright, how's everybody doing tonight? Hey, uh, you ready for week number three of Song of Solomon? The happiest ending? Now get ready for this, because if you haven't been here for the first few weeks, let me catch you up to speed. We are in a series on the Bible book of Song of Solomon, and Song of Solomon is a book of poetry about love, intimacy, commitment, and yes, sex. Now if Chris Pasek was here, what would he do when he says sex? He'd go, woo, right? That's what he would do. Uh, but look, we're in the middle of this series, and it's been pretty intense so far. The first week was, was this idea that, that sex is a good thing, and nobody argued with that, right? We all agreed with that. Uh, week two, last week, was about the art of attraction. And this week, we're going to talk about the art of dating. Now, when it comes to dating, I think it's very important for us to learn from God, from the Bible, how to do this. Because anybody in the room, just by a show of hands, anybody in the room ever been hurt by a dating relationship in your life? Anybody? Yeah, pretty much all the hands go up. If you've ever been on a date at all, you've experienced some of the hurt and the dark side of dating. Well, we're going to talk about this today from a biblical perspective. We're going to learn from God's word the art of dating. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, if Greg's married to Tara, he must be an expert at dating. I know that's what you were thinking, right? Well, the fact is, I'm not an expert on dating, but I have learned a thing or two along the way, that's for sure. Uh, My first marriage ended in complete failure. I was young, I was dumb, I got involved too fast. I knew that God's word said that you shouldn't have sex before marriage, and if you do, it's going to lead you outside of the will of God. And I knew that, and I did it anyway. I ended up in a bad marriage that ended with a whole lot of pain and regret. I started off on the wrong foot, I went down a path that led me where I didn't really want to go in the long run, and it ended badly. And it landed me single in my 30s. Now, do I have any single 30s in the room? I was single in my 30s. Can I just tell you, and you're going to relate to this if you were single in your 30s, it is a jungle out there (laughs) when you are single in your 30s. And so I got involved in several dating relationships during this period of my life, and I just kind of jumped into dating and really didn't have any plan, really didn't know what I was doing, and that was the problem. I got married so young, I was married for almost 12 years, and all of a sudden here I was single again, back in the dating scene. I just sort of jumped into it, and, and what happened was, is because you kind of just jump into it, I got involved in a couple of dating relationships that almost ended in marriage, and I'm so glad they didn't. One of these, let me tell you about one of them. One of these women that I almost ended up marrying, she was a pet lover, She loved dogs. I'm telling you, she loved smelly, stinky, lick their crotch, then lick you, poop in the yard, dogs. (laughs) Now, listen, (laughs) and and, and so I was dating a woman who loved dogs, and not only that, she wanted to live on this big piece of property and own tractors. Now, you might love dogs and tractors. If you know me, that is just not me. Right? I would love for my backyard to be 100% concrete so I don't have to take care of it. I don't like pets. I like animals in the wild and at the zoo and on my plate, but I don't like, I don't like pets. Now, I know many of you, you love your pets, so please don't hate me. I love you, and you love your pets, and so I, your pets are fine. But I, I almost, because I jumped into this without really having a plan and knowing what I was doing, I almost fell into a life with dogs and tractors. But then, along came Tara to rescue me. God's gift to my life. And I'm telling you, uh, Tara and I had been through enough of the dark side of dating. We, we'd experienced enough of the pain of dating. 
that we were finally ready. When God finally brought us together, we were ready to do it God's way. I'm going to tell you, the last eight and a half, half years of my life, they have not been easy, but they have easily been the best eight and a half years of my life. And so I have learned a thing or two along the way about this whole dating world. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to jump into this, and we're going to talk about this world of dating. Because when you look at the book of Song of Solomon, it becomes obvious that the way that most single people date is broken. I tell you, it was true of me. And God was gracious and merciful to me. But we jump in, we get our hearts ripped out, and we end up in places we never wanted to be. We constantly are are getting hurt or hurting someone else, and it's just got to change. The way we date in this world today has to change. And if you're married, it doesn't, doesn't end with marriage. Listen, you need to date your spouse. And the purposes of dating don't change. And so we we need to get around this too. This idea of of how to date, God's wisdom for how to date is important, single or married. So we're going to tackle this today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Song of Solomon, or maybe in your Bible it's called the Song of Songs. And we're going to learn how to date in a way that honors God, protects ourselves, protects the people we're dating, and leads our relationships to become all that God intends them to be. And I think it starts with this thought. If you want to date in a way that honors God and and honors the people around you, you need to date with purpose. That's where it begins. I think the number one thing that's wrong with the way most people date is they date with no purpose. They just sort of jump into it. You date just to date. But that is not the way the Bible approaches this at all. The Bible lays out a very clear purpose for dating. I just want to read a description of it to you and and then attempt to define it for you. What is the purpose of dating. And this is true whether you're single or married. The purpose of dating. So let's just pick up in Song of Solomon chapter 2, starting in verse 2. And if you, if you follow through this book, it's an interchange between a man and a woman. There's really two characters in the book, and every now and then a group of women sort of chime in as a chorus. Remember, this is a, a love song. It's really poetry. And so it kind of alternates between the man and the woman. So I'll try to identify which one's speaking as we go along. So we start in verse 2. The man is speaking, and he says, Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. The woman says this, Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my beloved among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. Now, if you understood what a lily and an apple tree were in the ancient world, they were extremely rare and extremely precious. They were very uncommon. So what this man and woman are saying is that that you are the rarest of all people, and you are the most precious to me. Basically, they're saying, you are the most valuable of all people. You are the one for me. And this is what's going on here is they, they look at each other, they talk to each other. The woman then describes the end goal or the purpose of their dating relationship. And so you can see the the connection, the exclusiveness between them. The purpose of this dating relationship is they got to the point where they viewed each other as the rarest and most precious of all people in the world. And then listen to what the woman says in verses 4 through 6. This is the goal of it all. She says, Let him lead me to the banquet hall, and let his banner over me be love. Strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. This woman is basically saying, let's get married, have lots of amazing sex, and build a life together. 
That's basically what she says. The purpose of dating, it is a lifetime of love and commitment. Now, first thing this woman says, if you see this, she says, I want to go to the banquet hall. I want to let the whole world know about our love. She wants to tie the knot in front of everybody and celebrate it. She wants Solomon's banner over her to be loved. Now, in the ancient world, a banner was a mark of identity, a mark of ownership. She belongs to Solomon. Solomon belongs to her. She wants them to become husband and wife and be one and build a life together. And then she takes things to a whole new level in verse 5 when she says, strengthen me with raisin cakes and refresh me with apples. She's basically saying, I want this man. Meaning, I want to have sex with him all night long. Now you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Greg, how do you get that from raisin cakes? (laughs) Well, (laughs) let me explain it to you. Because raisin cakes in the ancient world were well-known sex enhancers. We might call them aphrodisiacs today. The seed of the raisin was considered to be a seed that would intensify the experience of sex. Now, I don't know if all this is true, this whole raisin cake thing, but these people believed it, and I I think I might try it. And and listen, Tara, she's going to be wondering, why do we have raisin everything all over the house? Raisin bran, raisin... You know, we're going to have raisin bran, we're going to have raisin cookie, raisin bread, chocolate-covered raisins, sun-made raisins, raisin everything. So if Tara and I, if we come in next week and we look overly tired, a little bit exhausted, it's because of the raisins. Just blame it on the raisins, okay? <laughs> now, now, look, if, if, if you're wondering, you didn't expect this from me, did you? I, I, know, I know you didn't. <laughs> Listen, I I had Tara's permission to say all of that, okay? Uh, In in case you're still wondering whether we're on the right track with all these raisins, listen, the the woman, she makes it clear in verses 5 and 6. She says this. She says, I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Now, you know what position this is, right? This is a sexual position. This woman is expressing what she wants. She is lovesick and breathless, this woman. She can hardly wait to have sex with this man. She is aching to be one with him. She longs to have Solomon cradle her in her arms and touch her everywhere. You might think that's a bit much for the Bible. Listen, this is what God is showing us, the purpose of dating. This is where it's supposed to lead. A married couple that is just one with one another, in love with one another, delighting in one another, committed to one another, tender and gentle and affectionate to one another. This is the purpose of dating. But then verse 7, now remember, this man and woman, they're not married yet. She's expressing her longing. This is what she wants. She wants to marry this man. Their dating relationship had progressed. Listen, sexual desire is a good thing. And it is supposed to be part of the process that leads you where God wants you to be. This is part of what dating is for. But verse 7 takes the step back and puts the pause button on everything and says, verse 7 says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. So, ladies and gentlemen, single or married, the purpose of dating is oneness, intimacy, and yes, amazing and breathless sex within the context of marriage. 
and a lifetime of commitment to one another. This means that if you're single in the room, the only reason to date is to get married. There is no other purpose. This is the purpose of marriage. It is to have a strong and lasting marriage. So if you're single, your purpose for dating is to end up in a strong and lasting marriage. And if you're married, the reason to date your spouse is so that you will have and continue to have a strong and lasting marriage. The purpose of dating is a strong and lasting marriage. Now let me just take a moment to talk to the teenagers in the room. I've got a son who's about to turn 13. I have a daughter that just came out of her teenage years. My daughter's 21. I had my first grandchild recently. Um, let me just talk to all of those of you in the room who are either teenagers or coming out of those years. If you are not ready to get married, if you're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, you're not even able to get married, there, let, me, let me say this with as much passion and wisdom from God's word as I can. There is no point to dating. You are only going to get hurt. That is the only place it can possibly lead because the purpose of dating is to get married. Now, I know this flies in the face of everything that culture says. Culture would say if you're 13 and you don't yet have a boyfriend or girlfriend, that something's wrong with you. Every song you hear on the radio says if you're 15, 16 years old, you should be obsessed and boy or girl crazy. And this is what life is all about. And I'm telling you, that kind of wisdom will lead you nowhere good. It will lead to nothing but pain and regret. And I know you're thinking, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me tell you something. I know what I'm talking about. I've lived it. I have lived it. I have watched my daughter live it. You, you, you should sit and talk to my daughter one day. She's 21 years old now. The pain and regret that she already has at 21 years old. Listen, it does not end well. Until you are ready to get married, you date to get married, and you don't have sex until you're married. This is the biblical model. God's wisdom is better than this world's wisdom, and God's wisdom is that marriage is the purpose of dating. Listen, dating, you're supposed to get to the point where you want to rip your clothes off and have sex. You're, that's supposed to be where dating leads, and it will lead there. You'll either get married or you'll have sex outside of marriage. That's the only thing that will happen with dating. And so if you date for the wrong reasons, you will end up in the wrong places. Which also means that if you're old enough to get married, so let me now raise the bar a little bit. If you're college age or you're in your, your 20s, mid-20s, or even older, and you're just dating in order to date, and you have no intention of marrying the person you're with, you can do nothing but hurt that person. Listen, if you get to the point in dating where you've decided, I'm not going to marry this person, you need to break up and end it. The only purpose for dating is marriage. This is God's wisdom for us. So how do you date in a way that leads to God's best for your life? Well, the Song of Solomon is going to unpack this for us. It's going to show us what godly dating looks like. Now, I do want to say that the Song of Solomon is poetry. So it's not like some other portions of the Bible. It's not a list of commandments. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. And so as we read through this story and we look at this couple's example for us of what dating should look like in a way that honors God and leads where you want it to lead, what you should understand is this is not the only picture of dating. It's not a commandment list. It, it's, it's, just, it's showing us the example of one couple that did it right. And there's a ton for us to learn from it. I think there's some principles we can draw from it. 
So as we look at this, we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 8. What does it look like to date with purpose? Date with the purpose that God has in mind, where it leads to a strong and lasting marriage. Starts with this, date with pursuit. Date with pursuit. In the Song of Solomon, dating began with a man initiating the pursuit of a woman and making an invitation. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, listen, my lover. Look, here he comes, leaping across the mountains, bounding over the hills. My lover is like a gazelle or a young stag. And so the first thing we see here is this man is approaching this woman. This man is aggressive, he is motivated, and he is interested. And there is no two ways about it. Uh, Apparently, Solomon lived on the other side of town from this woman, quite a distance from her. And there were these mountains and hills between them. In order for Solomon to get from his house to her house required a lot of effort. But Solomon comes, leaping and bounding his way over these hills and mountains like a gazelle. And his actions scream loud and clear to this woman, I want to get to know you. So the man initiates this pursuit of the woman with his actions. Verse 9. Look, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. So here what we see is the man not only initiates with his actions, but he initiates with his eyes. You can tell a whole lot about a person by the way they look at you. And this is true of Solomon. He comes to her home, but he doesn't barge right in. He doesn't force himself on this woman. He's not overly aggressive. He's interested. He is clearly uh, initiating a pursuit of this woman, but he's also giving this woman space. He gets to her home, but he doesn't barge in. He just waits outside. He does not demand anything from her, but he invites her with tender and patient eyes, and she can see him. So ladies, you need to pay attention to the way a guy looks at you. What is in his eyes? Is he demanding? Is he lustful? Is he arrogant? Or is he tender? Is he patient? Is he loving? The eyes often tell the story. So Solomon is pursuing this woman with his actions. He's pursuing this woman with his eyes. And then verse 10, my lover spoke and said to me, and so every step of the way, he's pursuing with his actions, his eyes, and now with his words. And so in the Song of Solomon, you see that dating starts with a man pursuing this woman, making this invitation, and and make no mistake about it, I've talked to enough women to know this is what women want. It's true. I sit in counseling sessions. I've talked to so many women. Women want a man who tenderly, affectionately pursues them. Women want to be pursued. Now, men, if you want to date... You need to pursue the woman. So Solomon does this. So look at what he does here. He walks up to her face to face, Solomon does. He, he, go, he goes through great trouble to get to her, walks up to her face to face, takes the initiative. In verse 10, look what he says. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. Now that's how you do it, guys. That is how you ask a woman on a date. Can I get an amen from the ladies? Amen. Right? Arise, my beautiful one, he says. Come with me. You walk right up to her in person. You compliment her. You tell her she's the most beautiful thing you've ever laid eyes on. You say, I'm leaping across the mountains, baby. Will you go out with me? (laughs) Right? And that's how you do it. And so married men, this applies to you too, right? So what you need to do is you need to plan a date. You need to find a babysitter. You need to go up to your wife. You need to look her straight in the eye and you say, arise, my darling. 
my beautiful one, and come with me. I guarantee she will. It will happen. So look, now if you're single, you do need to just take a pause on this for a minute. If you're single, you don't do this to a woman you don't know. It will freak her right out. You first got to get to know her. So you should never ask out a woman you don't know. Never ever. This is what I drives me crazy about all these dating sites that are out there today. This where you can ask someone out the first contact, right? You should get to know them first. Talk to her. Hang out in crowds with her. Go to church. Sit with her in worship. It also means if you are going to use an online dating service, you should use one like eHarmony. Now, I tried this when I was single. And I'm telling you, there are all different kinds of dating services out there. Some of them let you ask a person out the first minute you contact. eHarmony doesn't. There are others like it. They force you to get to know someone before you can ever even communicate with them. And eventually, you ask them out, and you do it not through a text message or through Facebook, which is just lame, right, ladies? Just lame. You're able to do it somehow in person, over the phone, through some type of a, a personalized communication. And so this is what you need. You've got you to have this moment where the moment's right. You'll be able to compliment her, say, baby, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Will you go out with me? And now, ladies, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, what do we do? Because you want a man to pursue you, right? You do want a man to be initiative and, and to take the initiative. But you don't, you don't want to sit around and do nothing either, right? So what do you do? Well, you can definitely pass hints, and you should be pretty aggressive with the hints that you pass. But you got to make it obvious because men are dumb. Isn't that true, men? Women will pass hints, and we won't have a clue. I'm telling you, this has happened to me over and over in my life. I didn't have a clue. They were passing hints. I didn't know. And so, ladies, here's one thing that you could do. You could walk up to a guy, and you could try saying this. You should say, I wouldn't hate it if you leaped across my mountain. <laughs> and, it, and listen, if, if he doesn't get that, he's slow, and you should just move on. Right? <laughs> now, now, look, before you get overly concerned about this, there's nothing sexual in this particular passage about leaping over the mountain. Remember what the mountain was, was about? They, there, was this, there was great effort involved for Solomon to pursue this woman. So all you're really saying, I don't really mean you should say leap across my mountain, but you can pass the hint, right? You can say, listen, I, if you pursued me, I wouldn't hate it. And you can pass these kind of aggressive hints, but you still want the man to take the initiative. This is just good, and it's the right way to go about it. Now, if you're married, when, when you talk about, hey, baby, you can leap across my mountain, when you're married, it very well could and probably should sometimes include sex. <laughs> listen, it's true. Mutual pursuit is crucial in the marriage. It's true. Yes, the man is called by God to be the primary initiator and leader. But listen, mutual pursuit is so crucial and so key in a marriage. You want to be affectionately, tenderly, unselfishly pursued by your husband in every way. But ladies, you need to help this along. I can tell you there's not a married man in the room that doesn't love it when he feels desired and wanted by his wife. And not just in sexual ways. When you know that your wife loves and respects you and, and she initiates with you with words of affirmation and, and, and tells you she's proud of you, like all these things that ladies can do to initiate this relationship in the marriage. And so dating with purpose means date with pursuit. And the next thing it means is this, date to discover. Come back to Solomon, listen to what he says next, verses 11 to 13. Solomon says, see, the winter is past, the rains are over and gone, flowers appear on the earth, the season of singing has come, the cooing of doves is heard in our land. 
The fig tree forms its early fruit. The blossoming vines spread their fragrance. Arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. So he's still asking her on this date, but he's got a plan, this guy. So what's he do? He's planning a romantic date. He doesn't just take her to the movies. He plans a romantic date. He says it's springtime, the rain is gone, the flowers are in, in bloom, and he asks her to go for a walk. He plans a date where they can actually get to know each other. Because this man is dating with purpose, and he is dating to discover. If dating is ever going to lead to a strong and lasting and pleasurable marriage, there are some things that we need to discover about each other. And as a dating relationship progresses before marriage, you need to progressively discover more and more and more. You need to eventually open up about everything. There shouldn't be any secrets as you're pursuing. You're dating with purpose. You identify your differences in background, differences in personality, differences in expectations. You need to talk about your past, your present, your hopes, your dreams, and your wounds. I can tell you, for having come out of a failed marriage in my life, one of the biggest things to it were there were some wounds involved that were not revealed until it was much, much too late. And these things affect a relationship. And so you need to figure out if you're compatible with this person. If you really want to marry this person, that's what dating's for. And so as you're out on dates, go on dates where you can discover one another. Learn about each other. There shouldn't be any secrets. And the discovery doesn't end after you get married. Men, women are a great mystery. And it's true. And as you move along, listen, you need to make, if, if you husband's in the room, you need to make your wife your personal research project to get to know her, to get to understand her more and more and peel back the layers. There is so much more to her than you currently know. This is what we need to do. And wives, same with your husbands. There's more to this man. You need to continue to discover him, and it requires dating. This is why marriages that don't involve this sort of thing, this sort of just one-on-one, look each other in the eye and just spend time together, they, they tend to deteriorate and they tend to fizzle over time. The discovery needs to continue. And you not only need to get to know each other and understand each other, but you need to identify areas of disappointment In areas of conflict, you need to resolve them before they ruin the relationship. Look at what he says in verse 15. He says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. And so Solomon goes back to this image of the vineyard, but now he introduces these little villains that have the potential to destroy the vineyard. He calls them little foxes and says they're so dangerous that you need to catch them. Now this catch them, it's, it's, it's like an imperative command. He says, catch the little foxes. Don't let them go. You need to identify these things. Catch them quickly and be aggressive about it, he says. Now, in the ancient world, foxes were notorious for ruining vineyards. They had a particular love for grapes, and they would move into vineyards and just destroy them. And foxes are almost impossible to catch. So you've got to be aware. You have to identify these things. Solomon knows that the beautiful vineyard of marriage is susceptible to these destructive little foxes. Can I get an amen in the room? Marriage is susceptible to these destructive little foxes. And you need to identify what they are. You need to spend some time together 
identify these things and resolve them. Do not let things go. Do not let things fester, especially when you're dating. I talk to dating couples that say, oh, we've never been in a fight. You know what I say to that couple? You need to run far from each other because you ain't going to last. You got to have a good fight every now and then if you're ever going to make it. Seriously, because if you're, if you're not, it means you're not opening up to one another. You're not revealing what's really there. You need to identify. One of the main purposes of dating before marriage is to identify the little foxes. But here's our problem. We don't do this. We put our best face forward, right? We try to hide the little foxes. We try to deny they're even there. We try to impress the other person. And listen, every time that happens, it's just going to go bad. If you date with purpose, you date to discover and to reveal. You want this person to get to know you. You want to get to know them. It's one of the important reasons it's so important. If I could share just probably the biggest lesson I learned from the way I handled things my first marriage before the marriage is that sex before marriage clouds the mind. It dulls your judgment. You will not make good decisions. And I'll go as far as this. You'll never find the will of God when you're living that way. You might ask God the question, God, is this the one? And if you're having sex outside of marriage, God won't, God's not even going to answer that question for you. All he's going to say to you is stop sinning and then we'll figure this out. God's not going to lead you when you are deliberately disobeying him. If you're having sex outside of marriage, you are running away from the will of God. You are running away from God's blessing in your life and God's blessing for your relationship. Listen, it's hard enough with God's blessing. You don't want to try it without it. This is just true. We need to get around this. This is the most important decision you could ever make. You need to be able to discern the will of God. So you need to date with purpose. Date to discover both good and bad and don't let anything get in the way. Don't let anything cloud the purpose of your dating. Sex is not the purpose of dating. Pursuit and discovery are the purposes of dating. You need to catch these little foxes because dating with purpose means this. Not only date with pursuit, not only date to decide, date to discover, but, but lastly, date to decide. Before marriage, dating is about deciding whether you want to spend the rest of your life with this person. That should be the goal. And once you have enough information to make that decision, you either get married or you break up. This is where it's supposed to lead. You discover in order to marry or move on. After marriage, it's about deciding to have a strong and lasting marriage. You date to decide. Before marriage, it's deciding whether to move forward. In marriage, it's deciding to keep this strong, to keep it lasting. Date with purpose. You decide to continue pursuing one another. You decide to continue discovering one another. You decide to catch all the little foxes that could ruin the vineyard. You make a settled intention. You decide, and you walk right up, and you say, hey, let's go out together. Let's spend some time together. And if you date with purpose, according to God's design, here's where it ends up. Look at verses 16 and 17. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He browses among the lilies until the day breaks and the shadows flee. 
Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the rugged hills. This woman wants to marry this man. And she wants to make love to him all night long until the day breaks and the shadows flee. That's what that language is all about. And this is what the raisin cakes are for. She invites him to come into her, to browse among the lilies, to lie between her rugged hills. Now, these are not literal hills, in case you're wondering. She's talking about becoming one with this man, spiritually, emotionally, physically one with him, a lifetime of love and commitment and pleasure. This is the goal of dating, single or married. Because at the end of the day, you might, you might find it shocking that the Bible talks in such graphic terms. You might not have known this before we started this series. But the Bible talks about love and commitment and intimacy and sex like this. But it shouldn't surprise you. Because God is the one who created marriage and he patterned it after something. Marriage is supposed to be a picture of something. God is the creator of sex and everything he made is designed to teach us something about himself. Which is why the Song of Solomon throughout, throughout the centuries has had both a literal meaning about this husband and wife and this relationship, but also at the exact same time has always pointed towards something deeper, something bigger, an allegorical meaning that points beyond human marriage. Human marriage is just a shadow intended to point beyond itself to something far greater, something far bigger. The primary purpose of marriage, all of it, including sex, is to be a living picture of our relationship with God. Isaiah 62, 5 puts it like this. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Don't let this, the, the, the graphic imagery of this language pass over you too quickly. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Listen, all of this intimacy, all this love, all this affection, all this tenderness, all this pleasure is a shadow pointing beyond itself to a relationship with God that is available to you that the Bible describes as fullness of joy and everlasting pleasure where God invites us to come and drink from his river of delight. Now, you might think it's weird that God describes his relationship with us with these kind of sexual terms. Listen, sex is just a shadow there is something waiting for us that is so far beyond it all. You know, the scripture says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. The purpose of marriage is to show our spouse and the world around us what God's love looks like. Just as God loved us, we are called to love one another. Marriage is a picture of the gospel of Jesus and the relationship between Jesus and his church. Look at the way it's put in Ephesians 5. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then the apostle Paul says, This is a profound mystery, but I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. A man leaving his father and mother, being united to his wife, becoming one with her is a picture pointing beyond itself to the relationship of Jesus and his bride, the church. All who put their faith in him are invited into a relationship of everlasting joy and pleasure and delight that will never end. 
God has a purpose for us. God pursues us. So much so he sent his son into this world to die on a cross for us. So strong was his pursuit. God wants us to to discover more and more and more about him forever. God will constantly be revealing to you more and more and more about himself. He has decided to remain faithful to you forever and calls you to be faithful to him. Marriage is a parable of God's love for us and our love for him. It starts with how we date. It includes how we make love. And it ends with a lifetime of commitment to one another with God right in the middle of it all. And this is what we're called to. So whether you're single or married, how you date in this world will reveal how you are responding to God. So take a minute and think about that. If you're dating, what does the way you are dating reveal about your relationship with God? And if you're a married person in the room, what does your marriage relationship reveal about your relationship with God? What picture are you painting? Are you representing what marriage is all about, what dating is all about. Are you painting the right picture? Are you representing God well? If not, there's mercy and forgiveness for you, but there is also help and strength through God's Holy Spirit to help you get it right. If you call to him, if you depend on him, if you, if you ask him to lead you, if you turn from your sin, you know when Jesus caught that woman in the act of adultery, the first thing he said was, go and sin no more. Right after he said, I do not condemn you. Listen, if you've screwed this up, single, married, look, I ended up divorced. Listen, I've screwed this up a time or two. Jesus looks at you and says, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more, and I will lead you into paths of righteousness for my name's sake. And you will find what you're looking for. You will find. Listen, when you get to the place where where you are willing to put your life in the hands of God, He will lead you where he wants to take you. He will lead you straight into his will for your life. And if that includes being married in a marriage that portrays his love to the world, beautiful, wonderful, great. If it leads to a lifetime of singleness. Listen, you don't have to be married to experience the reality of what marriage is for. That's just true. Listen, marriage is about God and his love. And you can experience that no matter where you are in life now and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, let's close with prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your wisdom, for your word. God, for your promise to lead us. So right now in the room, God, I just pray for everyone to just to come clean with you, Lord, to confess where they've screwed this up, to receive your forgiveness. And just to put their life in your hands, God, and say, lead me. Let your will be done in my dating, in my marriage, and in everything. God, we give it all to you. And for those in the room, God, that that are just on the front end of this, Lord, they, they walked in here today and they can hardly even believe what this sermon was about. God, I pray for them that you would just reveal yourself to them, that they would understand and know that you are the maker of every good thing and that they would be drawn to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.